Having prayed the, uh, that the Lord give us eyes to see through this hymn, let us now hear God's word from the book of Revelation as we continue in our series through this book. This will be our last sort of introductory sermon on the book of Revelation, and we'll start moving a little faster through it after this sermon. But this morning we are looking at verses 7 through 9. Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, hear God's word. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. In our previous sermon of our series here in the book of Revelation, we looked at the main theme of the book, which is the coming of Christ. And we noted that Revelation refers to, the book of Revelation refers to the coming of Christ as something that was fulfilled in the past, how it continues to be fulfilled throughout this age, and that it will be finally fulfilled when Christ comes to consummate this age and bring with him the new heavens and the new earth. Now, If you missed that sermon, you can go back and and hear how we brought those truths out. But let me remind you what that does not mean. It does not mean that Jesus comes bodily many times throughout this age. In that respect, there will only be one return, a second coming. Nevertheless, he does come repeatedly throughout this age to bring forth blessing and judgment. And we will see that, especially in the next few chapters, chapters two and three in the letters to the seven churches, but throughout the whole book. And so that primarily is what we discussed last time. And I will give another example of that here in just a little bit. But what we closed with last time in verse seven was the double oath that John uses to bring us assurance that these things will indeed come to pass. He says, even so, amen. Even so is from the Greek meaning assuredly. And amen is from the Hebrew meaning so let it be done. In other words, John is saying you can be sure of this. It will come to be. Behold, he is coming. Even so, amen. Assuredly, So it shall be. Now, we failed last time to look at verse 8. And what verse 8 does is it grounds that double oath in the divine being himself. What I mean 
is that we can trust that the events in verse 7 will assuredly come to pass because of who God is. So that is the relationship between verses 7 and 8. In verse 7, John says, Behold, he is coming. And then in verse 8, Christ himself speaks, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, how can we be sure that Christ will come to us throughout this age? And how can we be sure that he will bodily return to us in a final appearance to make all things new? Well, we can be sure because Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Those are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. And so it's emphasizing that Christ is the Alpha Creator and the Omega Consummator. And therefore, He is sovereign over the beginning as well as the end and all things in between. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Now, the same reality is highlighted in the following phrase, which describes the Lord God as the one who is and who was and who is to come. Now, we've already seen that phrase and discussed that phrase earlier in the book of Revelation. There, it was used of God the Father, but here, it is used of the Son, And it's directly used of the Son again later in the book of Revelation in chapter 22, verses 12 and 13. You see, the Son is the one who lives forever. He presently rules as the one who is. But he also ruled from the beginning of creation, being the creator. He ruled from the beginning as the one who was. And he will rule at the end because he is the one who is to come. Christ concludes this statement by calling himself the Almighty, which is the same word used to translate the Old Testament Hebrew word, uh, that that title that you've heard, that you've read in Scripture, Yahweh Sabaoth, or You've probably seen it as Lord of hosts. He is Lord of hosts, the Almighty One. If He is the Lord of the host of heaven, then His Lordship, His dominion is over all of heaven and earth. He is Almighty. His might is over all things from heaven. To earth, because he is the Almighty One. And that, beloved, gives assurance to the believer. If Christ, who rules over all things from beginning to end, promises that he will come to bring his kingdom in full, then we can be sure that it will come to pass. And this is important as we look at the last of the major themes in Revelation this morning. That being the themes of tribulation and endurance. You see, John's hearers were about to undergo and 
really were already undergoing tribulation. And they might be wondering why, if Christ is the risen king, why then are we suffering? They needed to know that Christ is the Almighty, the one who is sovereign from the beginning of this world to its end, who is sovereign even over their suffering, who is reigning even while they experience tribulation. And that's what the apocalypse is all about, revealing that Christ is ruling even when it doesn't appear or seem like That is the case. Since Christ's ascension into heaven, suffering, persecution, deception, temptation, in a word, tribulation, has continued on. Which makes it seem like, or it can make it seem like, Christ is not actually ruling at the right hand of the Father. And so in the apocalypse, which simply means revealing, a revealing, in the apocalypse, Christ pulls back the veil between heaven and earth for John to see and to reveal that he is seated on the throne, ruling as the king of kings over all things from beginning to end. And knowing this, then, will give them strength To patiently endure through this tribulation that they are undergoing. Since after all, Christ is sovereign even over the very tribulation that they face. And this is brought out naturally in the very next verse. Verse 9, which says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom... And the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so the apostle John relates to his readers here in two ways. First, he says that he is a brother to them. And so there is a family relation. But he also says that he is their partner. That is, he shares certain things in common with them. Or, we could put it this way, he has a fellowship with them in regard to certain things. There are, in fact, three things, specifically, that he shares as a partner with them. And they are tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance. Now, these three things, my friends, go together. Let me start with the kingdom, since we've already discussed so much of the kingdom in previous sermons. We know that Christ came the very first time to inaugurate his kingdom, which was clearly accomplished when he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. His kingdom was inaugurated. It began. However, the fullness of the kingdom has not yet come. Meaning, Christ has not yet consummated his kingdom. Brought it to its fullness, we might say. 
And so it has been inaugurated, but not yet consummated. And in between those two events, the kingdom faces tribulation. John then is a brother and a partner with his readers in the kingdom, but also in the tribulation. Now, tribulation is a major theme throughout the book and one that has sorely confused people as they try to interpret the book. The different views of tribulation really are similar to the different views on the coming of Christ that we looked at last time. I want you to remember that in the previous sermon, how some treated the coming of Christ as something, some interpreters hold that it is something that was already fulfilled in the early church. Christ came the first centuries of the church, and it was already fulfilled. Others think that Christ's coming will be only in the future. But we also noted that Revelation speaks of his coming as something that was being fulfilled all throughout this age, in the early church, at the present, and that it will ultimately be fulfilled when Christ returns bodily on the final day of judgment. Well, there are the same basic views here with the tribulation. Some think that the tribulation that John is referring to was only referencing the tribulation that occurred in the early church. Hence, John tells his original audience that he is a brother and partner with them in the tribulation. Others will say, well, yeah, I mean, the early church did experience tribulation, but the tribulation that the book of Revelation speaks of, especially in the later chapters of the book, well, that's a future tribulation that is to come. Now, this is an interesting group. They have all sorts of speculations about when that future tribulation will occur. There are pre-tribulationists who think that Jesus will return before the tribulation. Uh, there are the post-tribulationists who think that he'll return after the, the tribulation. And then there are the mid-tribulationists who think he'll return in the middle of that tribulation. But just as we found with Christ's return, so we shall find with the tribulation. It was being fulfilled in the early church. It is being fulfilled now and will be fulfilled in the future until Christ returns bodily on the day of judgment. You see, from his first coming to his second coming, the church faces tribulation. This whole age is an age of tribulation. What John says, excuse me, when John says he is a brother and partner in the tribulation, he is saying this to all of his readers throughout this age. Not just to those who lived in his day, nor just to those in the future, but all those who live throughout this age. Of course, John is a brother and partner with those who are in the kingdom. All who enter the kingdom are brothers and partners in it, regardless of when they lived in this age. We all recognize that. And in the same way, John is a brother and a partner in the tribulation with all believers from the beginning to the end of this age. John says this to us today, just as much as he said it to those living in his day. 
He is our brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom. So long as the kingdom is not consummated, it undergoes tribulation. And so long as we undergo tribulation, here's the message of the book of Revelation. We must patiently endure. John says he is a brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance. In Jesus, he says. Brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance in Jesus. Did you notice that at the end of the sentence? In Jesus. And that, my friends, is the language of union. To be in Jesus is to be united to Jesus by faith. To have spirit-wrought faith, to be united to Christ by spirit-wrought faith. And so John is in Jesus, and he is a brother and partner in those things to all who are also in Jesus. That includes us today. I think I could summarize and expound this part of verse 9 by saying this. All who are united to Jesus are brothers and partners with John in the kingdom that has been inaugurated. And in this age, the kingdom will undergo tribulation, which means that those in the kingdom must patiently endure until the kingdom is consummated at Christ's final coming. Beloved, we overcome, a word used several times throughout the book of Revelation. Sometimes in other translations it's put as conquer. We overcome, or we conquer our enemy and the world by patiently enduring the tribulation that we face in this age. I could put it this way. We overcome. Or conquer through our suffering. This is how we are being conformed to the image of Christ in this age. He suffered and laid down his life. And through that suffering, he redeemed his people. And he conquered the enemy. And now. Now, we are called to be conformed to his image by sharing in his sufferings. It's a very backwards way of thinking of things. When we think of overcoming someone or something, or conquering someone or something, we think of being strong and mighty and putting the other one down and and have those types of images in our mind. But yet, how did Jesus overcome? He overcome, he overcame by laying down his life. He overcame through suffering. And being conformed to his image, that is how we overcome. By our faith in him and sharing in his sufferings. In other words, we are called to pick up our crosses and follow Christ. 
That is how we overcome, by patiently enduring the suffering or the tribulation that we face in this world. The life of a Christian is a cross-stamped life that we must endure to the end. And to demonstrate that this is the message of the book of Revelation, just consider a couple chapters. Chapter 13. In chapter 13, John speaks about the beast that rises from the sea to make war on the saints. And with regard to the persecution of the beast in verse 10, here's what we read. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Or how about the next chapter, chapter 14. There John speaks about those who worship the beast and bear the beast's mark on their forehead. And of those, he says, that they will experience the wrath of God. And in verses 11 and 12, here's what he writes. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. You see, beloved, This is the message of Revelation. The main theme is his coming, his coming in victory. He he has been victorious at the cross and he will come in final victory at his return. And that's the main theme. But the message, the encouragement from the book is to endure, have faith in Christ and endure to the end. We will see. The truth of these things as we move throughout the series. But perhaps, maybe even now, it would be helpful for us to look at how other portions of Scripture speak to these issues as well. Listen, for example, to the words of Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me, there's the language of union, that being united to me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have what? Tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. How did Jesus overcome the world? Through suffering. Now, Jesus was, of course, speaking directly to the apostles then, but this applies to all believers today. In the world, we will have tribulation. We might also think about the parable of the sower that Jesus tells. Now, think for just a moment. What were the parables? Jesus tells us that they were the parables of the kingdom. And in Mark 4, verse 11, Jesus says to his disciples, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But, he says, for those outside, that is, those outside of the kingdom, everything is in parables. So they have the secrets of the kingdom, but to others he tells parables of the kingdom. And then he goes on to give the interpretation of the parable of the sower. There was the sower who scattered seed, which is the word of God. 
And it was scattered along the path, along the rocky ground, and among the thorns. And as he interprets the seed which falls upon the rocky ground, he says that these are the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but, listen, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away, he says. So they don't endure to the end, as Revelation encourages, but only until tribulation comes their way, and then they fall away. Just a couple more quick examples. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas went to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. In verse 22, Acts 14, 22, it says that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. They're speaking about the kingdom being finally consummated. We will enter into the fullness or the, the consummated kingdom only as we pass through tribulation now. And finally, you're all familiar with Jesus' words when he said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Beloved, so long as the kingdom of God is in this world, that is, so long as it's been inaugurated but not yet consummated, It will face tribulation. And that is the tribulation that John is talking about throughout the book of Revelation. We should not expect a life in this world without such tribulation. We are no greater than our master. Therefore, we should not think of ourselves as being above suffering, above persecution, above tribulation. And so the time of tribulation that the book of Revelation refers to runs from Christ's first coming to his final return, his second coming. This whole age is the age of tribulation. And the purpose of the tribulation is to conform the church to the image of Christ her Savior. Now in this passage, John's own experience illustrates... What it means to live in this age of tribulation. It's an illustration of what the church will face all throughout this age. He was in exile in Patmos, which was an island just off the coast of present day Turkey. And he was there, why? Due to tribulation. Because of the testimony of the word of God and his faith in Jesus Christ. What he was proclaiming. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, sent him into exile, into prison on an island. And so he faced tribulation himself. Hence, he is a brother and partner with us in the tribulation. Now, his experience in the tribulation was directly persecution, wasn't it? But the tribulation, according to the book of Revelation, is, is not justified by persecution. 
but really by three things, which we've discussed already earlier in the series. Persecution is certainly one of them, but also deception and seduction or temptation. Remember in the book of Revelation, the beast persecutes those who do not worship him. The false prophet attempts to deceive everyone into worshiping the beast. And the harlot Babylon tries to seduce everyone to join them in the worship of the beast. And there's your three things. Persecution, deception, and seduction. This is the tribulation which runs all throughout this age. It has already begun in John's day. Has continued to this day. And will not end until Christ returns. Now perhaps the churches in Asia Minor. Where the letter was first circulated. Felt that they were helpless against the beast. Facing all this tribulation. Facing this persecution from the Roman government. Maybe the church throughout different points of this age have felt the same. But John writes to the whole church throughout this age. He writes even to us today as one who is a partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. Encouraging us to patiently endure through this tribulation. To endure through this persecution. The the, the deception and the seduction that comes against the kingdom of God in this world. John writes as one who had been given a revelation, an apocalypse, an unveiling of Christ seated upon the throne, ruling over all things. He saw him who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty One. In Revelation 13, 7, beloved, it says the beast was and is not and is about to rise to destruction. You see the play there that it's saying? Between the beast and Christ. Christ was and is and is to come. The beast, on the other hand, was and is not and is about to rise to go to destruction. The beast cannot match our Savior, Jesus Christ. The beast is a has been and is not in one doomed to final destruction. But Christ, beloved, is the victor. He was and is and is to come the Almighty One. He overcame by laying down His life. And you too, beloved, can overcome by picking up your cross in faith and following after Him. To Him be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for Christ who did indeed redeem us and accomplished our redemption through his suffering, but also who set an example for us, an example to which we are to be conformed unto. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would be working in us to make us more and more holy, to sanctify us, that we might become more and more like our Savior through the different suffering and tribulations and trials that we experience today. For Christ had accomplished our redemption for us. It is so that we might overcome 
through him, through being conformed to him, through our faith in him who first overcame all things. We thank you for the redemption that we have in him. May we point others to Christ and to his humility and willingness to come to earth, to suffer and die, to purchase for himself his people, the people of God, and who rose again and was exalted. Help us to show others that he is our true and only hope. For just as he was raised from the grave, so too will we on the last day be raised from the grave. With glorified and resurrected bodies to gather before your throne and to worship you forever. May that day come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.